Welcome to Your Life Choices Podcast with me, John Deeks, joined by Peter Quarry, an author and leading Australian psychologist uh, and award-winning as well. What award did you win? Oh, I've, thank you for asking. I've won um, about 50 awards. 50? I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Oh, um, please, I asked. Uh, yes, I know. We'll take up the well, whole look, 20 give minutes me, give just me the listing top three. them. No, um, look, I, can't, I actually can't remember them. This is when I had a company called Ash Quarry Productions with uh-huh. a, a woman called Eve Ash, and we made corporate education videos. So things oh. like, you know, leadership and conflict resolution and working in teams and all those kind of what are called soft skills. Yep. And we, we had this business for about 25 years. I was the on-screen presenter, believe it or not. Yeah. And a lot of them were translated into foreign languages. And we entered a whole bunch of different awards around the place. And we won like major awards in America and Britain and all over the place. So they're well, the I know, awards. I, I know your uh, psychology has been seen with Bert Newton yes. uh, when you were on Good Morning Australia. Oh, yes. And you would answer many Questions and thank you very much indeed for the last time we were in together yep. and answering questions from our Your Life Choices listeners yep. who were intrigued as to if you could uh, sort out some of their problems. But you've just recently come back from Cairns where you're at a writers' festival, and I want to know if your book called "If I Were You," a psychologist puts himself on the couch went well. Look, it did as a matter of fact, John, and thanks for asking. Um, I, I did three gigs up at the festival in Cairns yeah. this last weekend, and uh, there was a local bookshop that uh, had the books of all of the presenters there. They had a little kind of stall going, yeah. and I was really delighted my book sold out. So that was really great. Wow, that's great. Um, but did you give a reading? Uh, no, I didn't actually talk. I didn't have a session specifically about my book. Um, one of the sessions was actually a review of Prince Harry's book. You know, the new book called Spare, which Wah. came out, which came out um, about a month ago, yeah. and apparently has been the best-selling non-fiction book in all history. In is terms that of sales, right? yeah, yeah. So this is the uh, please don't look at us, stop the publicity, leave us alone. We want That's our privacy. That's the to one. It. That's one. So I gave a, I gave a, 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 one of my gigs was I gave a talk on um, on spare, but from a psychological point of view, and it was very well, funny. Well, I am fascinated to hear your thoughts. Well, it was very funny because after I was introduced. Um, I was just about to start and then there there must have been about 50 people in the audience and uh, there was a woman in the front row and she said, Peter, before you start, I just want to tell you that I am distantly related to Prince Harry, so don't say anything nasty about him. (laughs) Did you say, well, I'd leave now, madam? I thought, well, I, you know, I immediately sort of thought in my head, you know, what am I going to say? Is anything nasty? And I thought, no, not really. Anyway, I thought... You wouldn't say anything nasty, but you'd give an appraisal. Well, that's exactly right. Objective. That's exactly right. So it wasn't nasty, but I thought, oh, I hope she's not difficult because, you know, sometimes you get a difficult person in in an audience. Yeah, sure. She actually ended up being nice and quiet and didn't say anything. And she came up to me later in the day, uh, in the afternoon, and she said, you know, I was joking. I'm not really related to Prince Harry at all. Ah, <laughs> said, was she trying to psych you out? I, 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 she said, I'm joking. Psych. She was just trying to joke. And I thought, well, okay, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, um, look, what do I think of Prince Harry's book? Um, look, if you like, you know, if you like a bit of a soap opera story, it's great. Um, it's written quite well. Uh, certainly, he gives an insight into the royal family that I don't think anyone has ever seen before. If you're not part of the royal family, like it was, it's a real expose. Um, so, if you like that, it'd be great. 
I was really interested, though, more kind of from a psychological point of view, kind of what were some of the themes that he covered? So, for example, sibling rivalry between him and William, Willie, as he calls him. Certainly the death of uh, his mother, Diana, was very traumatic and I think explains a lot about him. Uh, uh, you know, and then, of course, the attraction to Meghan Markle, his wife, mm. is also very... So there were, there were several kind of psychological themes that uh, that maybe we can talk about a bit. I'd like to talk about that. And, in fact, uh, the... the Issues that confront the Windsors are very much issues that confront uh, the Smiths and the Browns. Look, they are, except they live in palaces and well, not uh, like you as and, well, and have crowns. And uh, so, yes, I think, but still, the, the the sibling rivalry because yeah, every family there's always an issue. Why is that, Peter? In every family, whether you're kings and queens or absolutely, why why is that? Well, look, um, look, it's very funny because I was on ho- on holiday recently and and uh, we were watching. Um, some puppies uh, compete with one another for their mother's milk. And it reminded me of how natural and how nasty sibling rivalry can be. Sure. I mean, there, there, look, there are lots of ways of looking at it. I mean, one way, a, a typical way is from the point of view of evolution, and that is that it's all about survival for resources, you know, the mother's milk, for example. Or certainly from in primates, um, it's, attention f- uh, it's looking for attention from the parents. And I mean, you know, uh, a lot of parents will say, oh, you know, I don't have a favourite. I don't have a favourite. Well, guess what? what? Yeah. They do. And in fact, studies have shown that up to 70% of parents have a favourite. I have three children and there was a photo of one of my children standing next to a Bombardier private jet. He works for a for Crown and he flies people around the place. My other son, who's a, an electrician in Queensland, standing beside this uh, new Holden ute that he's bought, an old Holden ute. And our daughter, who is doing psychology in university, and I sent a photo of the three of them to my ex-wife and said, are you sure they're ours? <laughs> Peter, how can kids be so different? I know. Isn't that extraordinary? I mean, I have a brother also who is the like the exact opposite of me. How does that happen? And, uh, well, you know, it's nature versus nurture, isn't it? I mean, you know, they might have the same genes, but they have different kind of experiences that, you know, different connections get made. It's one of the mysteries. But yes, I mean, I, I always remember reading uh, a novel by T- Truman Capote. I think it was called In Cold Blood. And he he interviewed this guy who was a murderer, like a mass murderer or something, and in jail. And I think this guy's brother was like a top doctor or something. I mean, don't yeah, quote me exactly, yeah. but, you know, very successful in society. Let's put it like that. And Truman Capote asks, you know, how could you be so different from your brother? Exactly the question you're yeah. posing. And the answer was, well, you might live in the same house, but one walks out the front door, the other walks out the back door. Mm. Now, in your case, they haven't walked out the back door. They've walked out of side doors. But, <laughs> yeah. But, um, but look, I mean, fortunately, thank God, they all get on extremely well, which, well, is, which is terrific. But that is not always the case, i.e. spare. Exactly, between William and... Do you think uh, that's ever going to get repaired? No, I don't. Oh. But, but, I mean... Uh, that was quick. It's Well, I don't because, 
you know, look, I don't think the book has really helped the situation. And in fact, I just read in the paper today that apparently Megan and Harry have been asked to move out of, I think it's called Frogmore Cottage, mm. which is their base in the UK. I mean, when they come to the UK, which isn't that often anymore, yeah. apparently they've been asked to vacate. So if that's a little sign of how things are going, things are not moving towards a reunion. In fact, the, in fact, the, the newspaper article was speculating that Harry and Meghan will probably not attend Charles's coronation in May. Mm. But the thing about sibling rivalry is, look, it's very natural and it's very normal. Um, and uh, but, oh, but, just... but, but in, in the case of the royal family, in the case of Harry and Willie, there's another factor happening and that is what I call institutionalised favouritism. Because the reality is that Willie is the heir to the throne. So the whole organisation, the whole enterprise, the firm, yeah. as they used to call yeah. it, yeah. is yeah. all about protecting him, making him look good. And Harry is well was the spare. Of course, I think he's now the fifth in line to the throne because William has three children. So there is an institutionalised favouritism built into the system there that favours Willie over Harry. What was your biggest surprise reading the book? And let me just say, I have not, but yes. tell me what... Um, look, probably the amount of detail that he goes into about how the royal family get along. I mean, there are some wonderful anecdotes. I mean, some funny ones and some sad ones. Probably, I mean, the, I'll give you a funny one, for, for example, um, when Harry comes back after serving in Afghanistan and he sees his father and older brother, um, they give each other a kind of a hug and apparently there's a sort of a light touching of the cheeks with a little sort of kiss in the air. And Harry says now to... To any observer, this would just seem like a kind of normal family interaction. But for us, this was absolutely over the top. We'd never done it before. It was completely extreme. Wow. I mean, crazy stuff. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. But probably for me, the, the, the most sad revelation was when Harry talks about the death of Diana, mm. his mother. Mm. Now, he was 12. Mm. And I, don't, I think we will all remember that photograph of him and, behind, and his sibling yeah. and walking behind the coffin. I mean, at 12 years old. Yep. Anyway, he tells a story of later that day when Diana's coffin is about to be lowered into the grave. Apparently, um, a photo of... Uh, Harry and Willie was put in her hands and Harry writes, so for, for all time she would be looking at a photo of us and he describes as the flag came off and the ca coffin was lowered into the grave, he couldn't stand it anymore and he burst into tears. Now, okay, that's pretty awful, but the th then he writes, and I don't, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but then he writes, I just couldn't hold it in any longer and I felt ashamed that I'd broken the family ethos. Wow. I mean, you know, his mother's dead, she's being buried, he's 12 and he's not allowed to cry. I mean, that's pretty awful. I mean, that's borderline child abuse it sure in my is. book. Uh, I just wonder, is there motivation to find peace uh, that is Harry and Meghan, to find peace, 
to find uh, somewhere where they can have their privacy. Uh, what is what is their Ford motivation? Well, what do they look, want to be? Um, you know, just going back a where couple. Where is their of, place in the world? Well, just just going. I mean, great question, John. Just going back a couple of steps. Um, uh, another thing that really interested me about the book was his description of meeting Megan or seeing Megan for the first time. Now, it reminded me of the work of this American psychologist called Harville Hendricks, who, and I'll just summarise his theory. He says that all of us carry around with us a wound from childhood, something that wasn't right that we as children couldn't fix because, hey, guess what? We were children. We didn't have any power. And we carry around with us that kind of picture, that I- I- image. And when we meet someone who allows us to replay that scene from childhood, but this time handle it differently because, hey, Mm. we're now adults. That's what happens when we fall in love. And he describes seeing Megan and he describes this sort of, it was like a punch in the throat. It's like this whack. It's quite a visceral thing. And really, I mean, he's quite aware of this, but really his attraction to Megan was that Megan provided him with an opportunity to replay the situation with his mother and in fact save Megan in the way that he couldn't save Diana. Wow. And he's he's aware of this and he writes about this and I think this is kind of very very interesting and shows that he's got some degree of insight which interests me as a psychologist. Um, and you know really when you look at the way Megan was treated by the press particularly in Britain I mean they talked about her exotic DNA possibly polluting the blue blood of the Windsors. Mm. I mean there was that awful uh, post on I think a BBC announcer's website where he posted a photograph of a couple leaving a hospital with a black with baby. A, no, no, worse with a chimpanzee. Oh, that's right. And they said Megan and that's Harry right. leaving the hospital with their kid. I mean, just awful, awful stuff. So it's no surprise that he saved her and he talks about wanting to save her and keep her safe. He, he talks about that again and again and again. So I see a direct link. As, as he does, in fairness, between the death of Diana and his attraction and, and what's happened. He's taken her away. He's taken her away from it all and keeping her safe in California. Where, where is their place in the world? Well, I think they're probably still working this out. Um, I mean, I suspect that they have this kind of dream that they'll be able to turn into world-famous philanthropists and have all these charitable causes. And in fact... You know, one of the theories about why he wrote the book is because of the 20 million bucks that he's getting, and that's US bucks, 20 million bucks that he's getting from the publisher, that this is kind of seed money, if you will, for the the charities they want to set up. So I think they're, they're hoping that her Hollywood star power and his royal status will give them a, a unique place to, to do good for the world. And, you know, I'm hoping that they will. Do you think there'll be a spare two? Yes, I suspect. I mean, I have no inside information, but I, 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 I suspect so. But, you know, um, th- there are a lot of other revelations that come out. I mean, he talks about, for example, his todger. Do you know what a todger is? He's Willie. He's Willie. Yeah. I, well, how do, I've never heard of that word I've, before. Have, where have you been? I, well, obviously. Not where I've not been. Where been. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um, uh, he talks I think about very English. Uh, it, yes, term. clearly. Um, I'd never heard it. Um, he talks about his todger possibly a little bit too frequently. Okay. Um, you know, and just maybe a little bit too much information. Right. Um, I mean, he talks, for example, about. 
the night that Diana died. Uh, once again, I mean, you know, he, he cuts from kind of quite funny things to quite sad things. He talks about the night that uh, Diana died when um, he was asleep in bed and his father, Charles, came into the room and woke him up and said, basically, your mother has died, but you'll, it'll be okay. And apparently he put his hand on his knee for a moment and then got up and left. I mean... Yeah, well, see, but, know, Amy, but Charles has never been well, able, that's, And that's why he's married... Uh, C- Camilla, because she's the mother that he never had. Well, that's absolutely right. And there's a wonderful I don't have to be story. A psychologist to work that out. No, you, that's right. I mean, well, you know, they say psychology is. Com- they say they always say psychology is common sense dressed up in fancy language, John. So you know, <laughs> but um, there's one little story that Harry recounts when um, when Charles apparently was quite young at school. And his mother, the Queen, and father went off to, I don't know, some world tour for about four to six months. And when the Queen came back, she, quote, offered uh, Charles a firm handshake. So, you know, yeah. this, is, this is a family with a really strange way of doing things that is, you know, maybe okay when life is all right. But when there's some disaster or tragedy or sad thing, there's obviously no help. There's obviously no support. And the reality is... I think um, I think Harry was suffering and is continuing to suffer f- from post-traumatic stress disorder. That whole experience of Diana dying, having to walk behind the coffin, not receiving any support or care, you know, a, a 30-second conversation with his father um, resulted in him having post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's why, you know, the anxiety, the panic attacks, the depression, the alcohol and drug abuse that he talks about. I mean, he loved it, you know, a joint and a bit of cocaine, and he's very upfront about it all. Um, what about William, his brother? Well, William, it, look, it's very interesting because going back to sibling rivalry, which we talked about right at the beginning, there's one one theory of sibling rivalry that says that Often what happens is a sibling will look at the other sibling and try and work out what it is that makes them a success and then try and be the exact opposite. In other words, uh-huh. they, they form their identity by yep. not being the sibling. <laughs> yep. And I think this possibly explains a little bit about Harry's naughtiness, <laughs> you know, and he's been very naughty. You just explained a lot about my two sons too. Is that so? <laughs> oh, totally. Well, um, you know, just to answer your question, so, you know, Will, William, I mean, I feel quite sorry for William because he's the heir. He's got to be good. I mean, there's a lot of pressure on him. And I think he's doing a bloody good yeah, job. Absolutely. But in many ways, Harry is the kind of the, di- the, the you know diametric okay. opposite, yeah. the naughty one, yeah. the wild one. And, and I think his book in some ways, you know, when we talk about his tendency to overshare, um, it's not just about, you know, trying to make the book as attractive commercially as possible. I think also he's wanting to tell us about who he really is. You know, I'm I'm a bit of a bit of a lads boy. I'm a bit of a, you know, rioter. I'm a little bit of a scallywag. Scallywag and in that sense he's differentiating himself from the very goody two shoes Willie. Yeah. So well, tell us about your boys. Yeah, well, I you know, you've got one boy who's a tradie and one boy who doesn't know one end of a screwdriver from the other, literally, because yeah. I had to put together his stuff from Ikea for him. <laughs> and uh, it's just interesting, the the juxtaposition between the two. Yeah. And hearing you talk about the winters, and we alluded to earlier, every family seems to have yeah. an issue. Every yeah. single family yeah. has something in it. 
uh, whether there's a, a daughter who's not kind to the mum or doesn't yeah. speak or a son who's estranged yeah. for whatever reasons. And there's yeah. a myriad of reasons. And gosh, I'm not trying to tell you how to psych eggs because you're the psychologist and have seen so many families over the time. Yeah. And is there a commonality within families that there seems to be one who is outside the box? Yeah, uh, yeah. Off, often there is, you know, the, the black sheep of the family, yeah, we, we will yeah. call them. Um, I mean, look, you know, families are very complicated systems and there are all sorts of things. There's the individual personalities, there's their histories, there's the way they communicate as well or not... Or commu- don't. Or, or yeah. not, exactly not communicate. And, you know, going back to the royal family, if there's one thing that comes through loud and clear is like the absence of any sort of emotional intelligence. Yes, it's that stiff upper lip thing, yeah. which is, you know, once again, fine, you know, if everything's going well and, don't you know. Don't complain, don't explain. But, you know, it, but it seems to carry through behind closed doors as well. You know, I mean, in all these things, there's the public face and there's what happens behind closed doors. But it seems to me, from what Harry is saying, that it's the same deal, both sides of the door for them. Do and they want privacy? Who? Harry and Meghan? Um, Look, the sense I get is um, yes and no. They want publicity, but they want it on On their their terms terms, and they want to be able to control it. And when you look at how, the once again, the British press dealt with them, I mean, there's one extraordinary story um, that Harry describes of um, when he was an adult he contacted whoever it was in the government and he said he wanted to see the official file on Diana's death. I mean, he obviously wanted to try and get some closure around this, which I can totally understand. And apparently they showed him a number of photographs of Diana actually in the car, you know, after the accident. And he says, he says there, was the, there was this strange kind of aura that was around her body in these photographs and they were kind of golden, kind of like the, sh- the colour of her hair. And he said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what they were. What, what, what are these strange auras? And, you know, he started thinking, you know, was it some sort of supernatural thing or what have you? And then he realised what they were. They were the flashes of photographers. And, in fact, what had happened was the, the photographers, the paparazzi, who caught were chasing the them, car, yeah. caught up with her and then started f- taking photographs of her as she was lying there. And in fact, in some of the photographs, you can see reflections of the paparazzi. So they're these ghost-like images. I mean, I don't blame him being very angry with the press. You know, instead of trying to comfort her or help her or, you know, support her, they were, and he uses these words, they were just shooting, shooting, shooting. Peter Quarry, our psychologist friend for Your Life Choices. Um, again, it's it's always wonderful to have you here on the podcast, sir, and we haven't answered any questions, but we're going to answer some letters next time you come by. For sure. And uh, good luck with your book. And again, please give it a plug. Well, my book is called um, If I Were You, A Psychologist Puts Himself on the Couch. And the news since I spoke to you last time is that it is now available as an audio book. Get out of town. So, um, Where can we go to find that? I have no idea. Okay. Uh, but uh, go to audible.com. Audible. Yes, audible.com is probably... Audible.com. Look, I, I 
I should know, I know. But look, go to wherever good audiobooks <laughs> are available. <laughs> I, I know, I, I just spoke to somebody actually not half an hour ago who said that they found it at their local library and apparently were able to, you know, get it for free. So it's it's available. Look, if you just Google it, if you Google If I Were You by Peter Quarry, um, you can see where the hard copy, the e-copy and the audio copy are available. Sales slightly behind Spare by <laughs> Prince oh, if Harry. Only, if only. Peter Quarry, thank you so much for joining us on Your Life Choices and we'll see you soon, my friend. Absolute pleasure to be here. Bye, John. Bye.